and we're going to talk today about parenting. And uh, I want to let you know, you might be saying, oh, I came to the wrong Sunday because I'm not a parent yet, or my kids are already out of home. I'm done with that season. But let me first of all say that all of us, if we're engaged in leading people to follow Jesus, which is called discipleship, if all of us are making disciples of Jesus, then we're all doing a form of spiritual parenting. So listen with those kinds of ears to how can I apply this to the people God's given me to influence towards Jesus. Second, some of you are going to have kids someday. So um, learn. Learn now. Take notes. I know, I know this also brings up for some some sensitive uh, hard times where it's like, man, we're trying to have kids, you know, and I just want you to know I'm with you in that. We pray, we pray for you. If you want to even come forward later today, we'd love to pray over you. My, my wife and I went through nine years of, you know, it took us that long to have our first, and so we know a journey of what it looks like to take a while. Uh, I think God knew what he was doing and was preparing us. Uh, and then there's some of you who are in the room, you say, I'm already done with that, and I want to let you know not only do you need this message because I, I think you probably need God's grace for parenting, even if you, for the ways you probably didn't do it perfectly, and yet you also need it because I want to encourage you as, an, uh, as someone who's already been there to start to pour into the younger generation of families that need your counsel, need your wisdom. In fact, you may even consider which mission community should I join that needs some older, wiser mentors that could come alongside us younger people that need our, our experience, and I would love to see that happen more and more. So let's, let's read Psalm 127. We aren't going to be spending our majority of our time here, but I want to start here. I'm going to start in verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gates. I'm going to start there because... I want to make sure that we're clear that Scripture speaks of children as a blessing, uh, as uh, an opportunity to pass on a legacy, as arrows that don't stay in the quiver but come out and get placed in the bow and get shot out of our home to bring whatever we put in them to another place, to bring good news and hope and grace, hopefully, of Jesus to people who need it, to places that need to see light break into darkness. And so I, I want to just encourage us to, to think differently when, than what often the culture teaches us to think about children, that children for many are a nuisance or uh, they get in the way or they, they're better off, it's better off prolonging having kids so you can live the life you want before you have. And I just want to tell you, please heed God's word. They're a blessing. They're a heritage. They're a gift. And we want to cherish these gifts. They're not, they're not a curse. They're not a burden. They're a blessing and a reward. And then I want you to think about the influence that we can have on our children, not just in our household, but through our heritage, through the passing on, uh, through the, the shooting of the arrow out into the world. It's an interesting study that was done to study the impact of a parent on not just their children, but on generations to follow. Richard Dugdale conducted some research on a, a family called the Jukes. Uh, there was a, he called it the Jukes, a study in crime, pauperism, disease, and heredity. And there was a man named Max Juke who lived in the American colonial times. He was reportedly an atheist who believed in liberation from laws. He allegedly advocated free sex, no formal education, and hated imposed responsibilities. Dugdale wrote that Juke was a hunter and fisher, a hard drinker, jolly and companionable, averse to steady toil, working hard by spurts and idling by turns. These are his words. He had a numerous progeny, some of them almost certainly illegitimate. Progeny, by the way, is many kids. In other words, Juke was neither principled nor industrious. Some years later, a gentleman by the name of A.E. Winship studied what happened to the descendants of the colonial era evangelist named Jonathan Edwards. You, many of you heard of him? Know of Jonathan Edwards? Edwards was everything Juke was not. Hardworking, God-fearing, Bible-believing. Edwards was, in the words of Winship, a godly minister who was credited with igniting the Great Awakening through his sermons. He served for a brief period just before his death as the president of what we now know as Princeton University. 
He believed in leading by example. And by the way, parents, I'm not going to spend a lot of time teaching on this particular topic, but your example, what you do, is always louder than what you say. So just keep that in mind. You can say all you want, but what you do is what people, what your children will learn most from. Certainly, Juke and Edwards had an impact on their immediate families, but what about the generations to follow? And the, the research that they, they did showed the generational impact of both these men's lives. For Juke, of the, te- of the 1,026 descendants of Max Juke, 300 were convicts. It's a third of his offspring. 27 were murderers. 190 were prostitutes. 509 were either alcoholics or drug addicts. Dugdale was able to estimate that the Jukes cost the state of New York almost $1.4 million to house, institutionalize, and treat this family of deviants. By contrast, the 929 descendants of Jonathan Edwards included 13 college presidents, 86 college professors, 430 ministers, 314 war veterans, 75 authors, 100 judges, 30, or sorry, 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 66 physicians, and 80 holders of public office including three U.S. senators, seven congressmen, mayors of three large cities, and a vice president of the United States, a controller of the United States Treasury, and members of which his family, family members wrote 135 books, edited 18 journals, entered into the ministry in platoons, and sent hundreds of missionaries overseas. Now that is an amazing heritage. That's some arrows that got shot out along way in the right direction. In fact, Elizabeth Dodd says, there is scarcely any great American industry that has not had one of this family among its chief chief promoters. Has any other mother and father contributed more vitally to the leadership of a nation? I actually had a a woman come up to me after the first gathering and say, she she told me about a relative of hers and said, we're, we're descendants of the Edwards. And she talked about the heritage that's still getting passed on into their family today. I thought, man, I want to be that kind of dad. I want to leave a legacy that's going to make the place we live in better, not worse. Some of you hear me read this and you're very hopeful, probably because you haven't had kids yet or they're still young enough to convince you they're going to be amazing, (laughs) right? You're holding your little baby like, it's going to be you, son. And there's some of you who are going like, they're just old enough, enough, enough now that I'm scared to death that they might be more like the Jukes. God help us, right? You're like praying, Lord, please let them have a, an arrow going in the right direction that gives life. Let them be that kind of life. And so what do we do? Some of us might respond by saying, we've just got to keep our kids out of trouble. Protect them from the evil around them. Keep them busy so they won't find trouble. Let me encourage you, that's probably not in and of itself enough. Because if all you do is keep them from trouble so they won't get into trouble, eventually when they leave you, they will get into trouble. We're supposed to train our children the way they should go, not just the way they stay out of trouble. Douglas Wilson, in a blog entitled Raising Arrow Children, I love that title, Raising Arrow Children, says this, Bringing up children as though they will be perpetually endangered is to create a circumstance where they likely will be. When you look at children, do you see potential victims or potential heroes? The eyes of faith see both. We, would seek, we should seek to nurture and train our children through the defenseless stage, knowing that on the other side of that endangered state is what you are truly after, a dangerous state. That's a choice that all children, Christian parents should embrace with real integrity. Do you want to bring up endangered kids or dangerous kids? I want dangerous kids. I want kids that will go into the world and change it. Be a threat to the evil one who wants to bring destruction. Instead, they would bring life wherever they go. And Nate Wilson, Doug's son, who wrote a a very well-written book, he's an incredible writer, very creative, a book called Notes from the Tilt-A-Whirl, Wide-Eyed Wonder in God's Spoken World says this, The world is rated R and no one is checking IDs. Do not try to make it G by imagining the shadows away. 
Do not try to hide your children from the world forever, but do not try to pretend there is no danger. Train them. Give them sharp eyes and bellies full of laughter. Make them dangerous. Make them yeast. You know, yeast that goes into the dough and changes the whole dough. And when they've grown, they will pollute the shadows. What are they both saying? They're saying, train your children to be arrows shot into a broken world with the intention of bringing hope and light and life where there's depravity, depression, darkness, and death. Parents, your children don't have to be hidden away in fear. They can be trained up to be sent out to make a difference in a world that desperately needs hope. Get them ready. Equip them. Train them. Take seriously the time God gives you to prepare them because one day they will leave and your job is to prepare them for that day. Look at Proverbs 22, 6 with me. This will be the main passage I unpack together with you today. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. He's clear. We're to train them in the way they should go. In other words, think of it this way. Train them to go. Train them to go. I don't mean kick them out. I mean train them in the way they should go. Train them along the way so they'll know how to go. And eventually train them with the idea that one day they're going to go and they're going to do it with someone else. Train them with the intentionality that they're going to pass it on to somebody else. The word train in this particular text is the word that's used when a mother is, is training or teaching or preparing her baby to, to root towards the breast when they're breastfeeding. So I don't know how it was for you with your first children, but for us, our first child was not, Haley is wonderful, but was not easy at the beginning. And I don't know how much of that had to do with uh, Janie as a first-time mom being nervous, how much it had to do with Haley and uh, just the circumstances we're in. I, we don't know, but, but they, we had to work hard to really train Haley to be able to get the nutrition she needed from her mother. It's interesting, before technology, they would take a little bit of honey and put it on the tongue to make the baby begin to root, to want something more. In fact, they do this with starvation victims as well. And you can't just give them something to eat immediately and they'll eat. You have to get them a little bit, of, just enough of something to turn their stomach into the, the kind of chewing, you know, like digesting machine it's supposed to be so that it actually you'll have hunger pangs again and actually want the food. And so uh, I, that's, a, that's a beautiful picture, by the way, of what God does with all of us when we hear these words from Scripture, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's this idea that he wants us just to get a little bit of taste of Jesus so we'll want a lot of Jesus. And that's, that's what is going on here in this word train. Parents, train up your children like that. That, that gentle uh, application of the goodness and the, the, the beauty and the joy of Jesus Christ. Help them to see how good the Lord is, but that, that you would help them taste and, and want more, that you would train them in the way they should go means nurture them with the good grace and, and, and tasty, like amazing substance that Jesus is to our souls. That's what we're doing. So, first of all, it's going to require that you know that, that you understand the goodness and the grace and the, the love of God, that, that you're hungry for Jesus so that you can be fed with Jesus and you can give them Jesus, is what he's talking about. Train them towards the path of life, which we know is him. Proverbs 13, 24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Uh, just to be clear, the concept of discipline here is not a picture of punishment or harsh treatment, but rather the rod should remind us of a shepherd who has devoted his life to the carrying of the sheep. If you know much about the rod that a shepherd would carry, that rod would gently nudge the sheep towards green pastures where they could eat, towards quiet waters where they could drink. Uh, and then if they were running in the wrong direction, if you've ever seen the, the shepherd's staffs, uh, they're not like some big crook thing, you know, that you just walk around with. They actually can be thrown. And so they would throw this thing, almost like a boomerang, to hit the, the sheep's leg to stop it from going off a cliff or into a dangerous place. And at some points, if a predator came in, then that staff was used to beat down the predator so the sheep 
wouldn't be destroyed. And so the whole idea of the rod is this, this gentle staff that we use to make sure we lead our children the way they should go. It, it, it should, if you know your Bibles a little bit, it should remind you of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, where Paul instructs, Timothy, that God's word, God's word, the scriptures are inspired and profitable, and they're profitable for, for teaching, which is, this is what God is like. This is what God has done. They teach us the truths of our God and the way he wants us to live, but it's also profitable for correcting, and that is that, that sheep that starts to go off the way, go, no, 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 come back here. It corrects us, and they're profitable for rebuke, which is the throwing of the staff to knock the leg out to say, no, you're going to get hurt. I love you too much to let you go into destruction. And then it's for training in righteousness, which is that ongoing pattern of leading us to the place of being fed, being rested in God's care. And so parents, as you think about this idea of the rod, please don't have in your mind some kind of like vicious punishment, but rather loving nurture like a baby being led to her mother to be fed. We're supposed to gently nurture our kids towards the way they should go. It's interesting, another passage, Proverbs 3, 11, 12 says this, my son, do not, oh, I'm sorry, let me, I just jumped past 1918. I want to hear the, did I skip it? No, did we go to 1918? We didn't. Go there. It's a really fun morning, eh? That's why we have grace. Discipline your son for there's hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Now some of you are going, that happens like daily, I want to put him to death. By the way, that's not what he's saying there. He's not saying like, don't kill your kids. But he is saying that. In fact, I want the, I want the passage up in front of you to look at it. Discipline your son, for there is hope. And remember when I talked about how we read Proverbs, the second phrase often helps us understand the first one. And in this case, it's the negative of the first one. Do not set your heart on putting them to death. In other words, what he's saying is, if you don't discipline your children, then you're going to lead them to a path of destruction. That's, that's the consequence of not disciplining them. That's the consequence of not guiding them with that rod that lovingly shepherds them in the way they should go. That you are making a decision to lead them down a path of destruction by withholding the discipline they need to guide them in the way they should go. But if you do discipline, there's hope. Which means there's a future. There's life coming. Now, this is important to hear because I'll tell you what. There are days when I'm like, it's just a lot of work to be a parent. And I know some of you are in those early days where it's like, it seems constant. You know, it's like, okay, like no more sleeping in, no more sleep, period, it feels like. And it's just a constant. And some of you are going like, is it ever going to end? Yes, they will go. They will go. But you've got to prepare them to go. Don't want them to leave without preparing them. And there's days when you need to be reminded, I'm preparing them for a way that leads to life. As tired as I am, as, as frustrated as I might be, I want to guide them. I want to lead them. I want to discipline them in a godly way towards a way that will lead to life. I remember there were days with some of our kids where we disciplined them for the same thing six, seven, eight, nine, ten times in one day. And you're like, ah, I'm done. And now, I mean, they're growing up and they're, I mean, we have amazing kids. I love them so much. And they're such a beautiful picture of God's grace in our life. And, and we need to remind ourselves that, that there is a time coming when this will actually work. It will produce something. So parents, please don't give up. Hold on. But you also need to be reminded that Sometimes discipline is unpleasant. And we need to know that it's an expression of love. Listen to Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, Solomon speaking to his son, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. Discipline is a genuine sign of God's love for you. The preacher to the Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12, 11, reminds the people that 
Discipline is a sign that you're God's legitimate children, that he loves you enough to discipline you for your own good. And he goes on to say that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. It is painful. But it reaps the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Parents, what you're doing is you're discipling your kids. You're training them up in the way they should go. You're preparing them to be people who will live abundant, full lives. But here's the thing. There are going to be times when you're disciplining your kids, when you're gently nurturing your kids, when you're shepherding your kids, when you're guiding your kids, and they're going to look at you and go, you hate me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I never forget the time when Haley said that to me. She's here. I know she, loves, she knows that I love her, but she's like, Dad, Mom, you're ruining my life. Dad, you're ruining my life. It's like, no, we love you. We want you to have life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah? Yeah? Amen. Some of you are going like, thank you, Jesus. We're not alone. We're not the only parents in the room who've had that happen. Now, let me ask, have you ever said that to God? God, you, you don't know what you're doing. You're ruining my life. Let me run the world. I would do it way better than you, right? I mean, we all have been those little kids who cry out to the God of the universe and go, you don't know what you're doing. And he's like, oh, little son. You don't know what I'm doing. I love you. In fact, can I just say this to make sure it's clear? Some of you may be going through a time of discipline right now, a hard time, a season of pain or loss or grief. And it's easy to assume that that's God abandoning us instead of a father who dearly loves us for our own good and wants to walk us through something that will produce in us a, a, a significant heart change. I've gone through a few of them in my life where I despaired even of life. And I can look back now and say, I don't know if I ever want to go through that one again, but I'm glad I got through it with his help. And I'm glad he produced in me a harvest of righteousness and peace in my life. It's changed me forever. And I, knew, I now can say he knew what he was doing, even if I didn't. And this is important to get because I want to encourage you, if, if you don't believe that God would discipline you for your own good in a way that might seem unpleasant or painful at the time, if you don't believe that God is very devoted to you being made whole and holy, being the kind of man or woman God knows you can be, but he has to take you through difficulty. If you don't believe that that could happen or could happen or is happening, then you're gonna have a hard time disciplining your children for their own good because there's gonna be days when it's gonna feel like they don't get it and they think that you're evil instead of good and loving and, 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 and they're gonna think you hate them. And you're gonna have to press through that because if you don't press through that, you're gonna just give them whatever they want and a lot of times what they want isn't what they need. The problem is the world's going to keep telling you, give them what they want. Commercials are going to tell you, give them what they want. Their peers are going to tell you, give them what, you, what they want. They're going to come home and say, but their parents let them do this, right? Love that one. Well, they're not your parents. <laughs> yes. You know, S.C. Johnson, founder of Johnson & Johnson, said this on a new about a new commercial they were releasing. S.C. Johnson, uh, founder of Johnson Johnson, says this, what matters most is that we live up to the expectations of our children. <laughs> Wrong! Are you kidding me? That's ridiculous! You don't live up to the expectations of your children. You love your children enough to even be misunderstood when you love them. That you love them more than yourself and the need to be impressive and the need to be thought well of. See, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Friends sometimes will love one another in such a way that they'll do things that often feel like a wound, but because they love the person enough, they'll do it. And the problem is, parents, there's gonna be times where you're gonna have to love your kids in such a way it might feel like a wound. And if you just live for them to think you're amazing, you won't love them well. You won't discipline them well. You won't lead them in the way they should go. And so I encourage you, love them enough to lead them. 
It's hard. And then lead them in the way. Lead them in the way. What's the way? First of all, before I describe that, we need to do it both formally and informally. Got to lead them in the way formally, some good instruction, good reminders, good teaching, but we got to lead them informally. It's interesting, Jesus in John 14, 6 says this, I am the way. So when you ask, lead them in the way, well, what is the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Parents, your job is to lead them in the way they should go. And first and foremost, please understand, Jesus is the way. He's not only the way to have a relationship with God and to know all the truths of God, because Jesus is the God-man, the God-made flesh, one among us, the one who through, we, through whom is life and all that he did, we can see what God is like. We can look at Jesus and go, this is what God looks like. This is what God loves like. This is what God talks like. This is how God lives amongst people. If we want to know what God is like, we can't know a par, uh, uh, what God is like apart from Jesus. And not only do we need to know what God's like through Jesus, but God wants us to see that Jesus is also the perfect human, the, the perfect way to go, the, the example of what humanity was meant to be like. When you look at Jesus, you see this is what perfect love looks like. This is what greatness looks like. This is what uh, the, the kind of wisdom of God looks like. It's Jesus. And so we lead our kids to Jesus both so they can know what God's like, but also they can know what a human's supposed to be like. And we call them to follow his example. And the problem is none of us can perfectly do it. And the beauty of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life is that he leads us to himself, so we realize we all desperately need him to forgive us for the ways we don't live the perfect human life. And then we need him to come in and fill us with his spirit to enable us to live a new life. So it's not only that we're forgiven of our sins for not living the perfect human life, but we've been given one in Jesus who has perfectly lived the human life we can't. He is the son of God who perfectly obeyed the father so that not only you and I can have a, a child-like faith before God and go, even when I blow it, I'm perfectly accepted before God in heaven because of Jesus who is perfect before God in heaven. But also we get to give to our kids this example of Jesus, not as only the way to go, but the means to be able to be forgiven and to live a new life. And we can say, even when you fail it, kids, there is a son who never failed it for you. Jesus, the perfect son of God, lived a perfect life in your place. So when you fail, you can go to him for forgiveness and for acceptance before the Father in heaven because he lived the life you can't live for you. It's amazing. So lead them in the way. Don't, don't, lead them, don't lead them to try harder, work more. Lead them to Jesus. And one of the ways we do this is we formally rehearse the truths of the gospel to our kids. When, when you're at the table, guys, remember Jesus. Remember he lived for you. He, he died for you. He can be alive in you by his spirit to help you live a new life. Don't go to school alone today, kids. Regularly rehearse the truths of Jesus. Family at Doxa, we're so blessed to have a great team that leads our kids to know Jesus every single week here. I'm so thankful for the way they serve. Many of you are a part of that team. Thank you for that. But let me just make sure I say, not only do I, am I thankful for them, but I'm thankful for Deborah, whose commitment is not just to do children's ministry for you, but to equip you to minister to your children. I want to remind you that you are the primary disciples of your children. You can't, you can't, you can't farm that one out. You've you got to take it seriously. You've got you to engage it. And your kids know. They, they, I, don't care, I don't care how well-equipped you feel, you still are the most influential person in your children's lives. And the, the good news I can tell you is all you've got to be is about one step ahead of them. And some of you are like, going, I'm so brand new to this whole thing. You're further ahead. It's okay. Right? Just keep stepping forward with Jesus. And I, I'm going to send out a, uh, an email through our church communication uh, e uh, source this week, our CCB, about a lot of resources that I'd recommend. I don't have time to walk through all of them, but there are some good resources to use to walk your kids through the formal shaping of their life towards Jesus Christ. But here's the thing I want you to hear. Not only are we to formally shape them uh, in the way, but we have to informally shape them in the way. We have to keep reminding them that they need Jesus, and we need to do this by taking the time to not just put information in, but to draw the heart out. 
We can't just put information in. We've got to draw the heart out. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I talked about the friend, the wise man, who's able to look into the heart of another and draw out the heart, the deep waters of the heart. That's a, that's a wise friend. Man, I hope that you heard that, that a lot of us men, we, we live shoulder to shoulder watching football or whatever else, which I'm all for. Go Hawks. Can't wait for the game. All right, so a little, little plug there. Okay, I love that. That's fun. But you know what? Guys, we need to not just be shoulder to shoulder. We need to be face to face. And we need to be face to heart. And we need to draw out the deep waters of the heart of each other. And I know for some of you are like, that, I, I just don't like going there, man. Like, can we just stay shoulder to shoulder? And I'm telling you, you desperately need men. You desperately need women. You do too. But you, need de- you desperately need people in your life who will draw out the heart, not just put information in, but pull out what's already there. And I've found that if I don't have men doing that with me, I don't do it very well with my kids. Because whatever happens to you happens through you. The work God does in my life works out of my life as I minister and share Jesus with others. So I can't be a person who does something that doesn't happen to me. It's got to happen to me too. So parents, if you want to learn how to draw out the hearts of your kids, you've got to be in relationships where people can draw out your heart. And it means that there are times when we have to slow down and draw out the heart of our children in those, those moments where they desperately need Jesus. A few years back, and for the protection of my daughter, Haley, I did ask if I could share this, but this was a few years ago, okay? So this isn't recent. Uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, Haley and I had a little, one of those little moments where I was walking the hall, and I don't know what happened. I can't remember what led to it, but she went, <clears throat> pushed me with her arm and walked away. And I said, hold on, come back, sweetie. That was disrespectful. That's not how we treat our parents. And as soon as I said that, she ran upstairs into her bed. And I chased after her, and she was under her covers, hiding. And parents, can I just stop and just pause there? Pay attention to what happens to your kids when they disobey or when they do something wrong and they know it. For a lot of us, we take what they're experiencing and we compound it. Say, okay, she's experiencing shame. She's hiding under the covers. Shame on you. No, 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 no. We don't use the consequence of sin, which is to experience shame, because that's what happens when we sin. We experience shame. We experience guilt. We experience the need to deal with it. And if we don't know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross for our sin, taking all of, his shame on, all of our shame on himself, taking all of our guilt on himself, atoning for all of our guilt so that we could be both forgiven and cleansed and made new and never have to be ashamed again. If we don't know that, well, then we won't speak it. But if we know it, we need to call our kids to that. Don't use the consequence of sin, in this case shame, to get your kids to stop sinning. You follow what I'm saying? Because here's what happens. If they're already experiencing shame and you go, shame on you, what are you doing? You're saying, next time, don't experience shame. Do whatever you can to avoid being shamed publicly. What am I going to teach my kids? Learn how to hide better. Learn how to cover up better. Learn how to not get caught next time. Learn how to do something and then use, use your, 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 your intellect or your your, you know, your impressive nature or your skills to just learn how to put a facade to pretend in front of people. And I'm telling you, a lot of us have been taught just deal with shame by hiding better instead of coming out of hiding and going to the one who can remove all of our shame. It's interesting when Adam and Eve failed in the garden in chapter three of Genesis, God doesn't come into the garden and say, shame on you, Adam. He says, where are you? He calls them out. I wanna encourage you, God's maybe doing that for some of you today. He's saying, where are you? And just so it's clear, God's not wondering where you're at. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're hiding. And here's the really amazing thing. He loves you. And his son, Jesus, willingly went to the cross for you. And Jesus, who was naked and ashamed publicly in front of all those he was dying for cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So that you and I could have our shame removed, our guilt atoned for, and we could come out of hiding. And so that moment with Haley, she doesn't need more shame. She needs the gospel. Train up your children in the way they should go. Where should she go? To Jesus. So there I'm at, at the bed, 
Sweetie, come out of the covers. You don't have to hide. Jesus died for your sin. You can experience his grace. You don't have to cover up. Come out. And I thought, you know, that's a, I'm preaching the gospel. You know, it's like, good news. Dad is chasing his daughter, and she doesn't come out. And she goes, no, you know, and stays under. And I'm like, okay, come on. And I, for 20 minutes, we, this went on. At one point, I'm praying out loud, Lord, remind her of how much you love her. Remind her what you did at the cross for her. Help her to believe it. And I'm praying, I'm praying. At some point, I went silent in prayer. I'm like, okay, Father, this is taking too long. <laughs> like, what is going on? I mean, I know I understand patience, but 20 minutes of trying to call my daughter out of hiding. And I had this sense that this was one of those key moments for my daughter's life. That it was worth pressing in until this lesson was deeply sunk into her heart. And so I said, God, can you speed it up? And he said, now you know what it's been like pursuing you. And I love it because I love you. And I felt like God gave me his heart for my daughter because he gave me his heart for me. Parents, I want to encourage you, if you don't get God's heart for you, it's hard to give God's heart to your kids. Sometimes it's in those moments where you receive the heart of God. And I, I kept calling her out, and she also did the little peek. Make sure it's okay. And then she just lunged at me. And we hugged, and we prayed, and she cried. And it's one of my favorite days with my daughter. I'll never forget it. I think it was a key moment in her life. Whether I don't know if she remembers all of it or not, but do you remember it, Haley? You don't remember that one. <laughs> That's how it works. We came down the stairs, and Mom was disciplining Caleb and Maggie, and Caleb was in a little shirt ball on the ground, hiding. Maggie was starting to cower under the table. Not that mom was yelling, it's just that they realized they were both in trouble and they went to hiding right away. And Haley comes down the stairs and she sees them and she starts laughing. And they're like, shut up! She's like, I'm not laughing at you, I just realized how silly it looks to hide. Obviously you can't. Parents, call your kids' hearts out. Take the time. And I want to let you know, this kind of parenting does not happen quickly. For a lot of us, if we're not careful, we don't discipline a way that trains them the way they should go. We discipline them just to stop behavior. Please don't use the consequences of sin to motivate them to stop sinning. Pay attention to the consequences of sin and then show them how Jesus deals with the brokenness of their sin. Lead them in the way. And some of you are going, yeah, but wait a minute. What if my kids, what if my kids don't have any sense of consequences? <laughs> What if they don't feel the shame or the guilt? What if they don't realize what they've done is wrong? And I would just say, that's where we have to be careful to teach them in the way that they should go and that the way that is foolish leads to destruction. That's what I've been doing all these weeks is talking to you about the consequences of sin. We've got to talk about this is the way of destruction. This is the way, if you keep going in it, what it'll produce. And, and yes, we've got to use some, some, some of those physical things every once in a while. When you have a very little kid and they reach up their hand to touch a stove, you just go like, well, let's let them figure it out. You slap that little hand. You just go, little bit of pain to avoid the greater pain. Sometimes that's what discipline has to be, is a little bit of pain to avoid the greater pain. I know when I would, when we were raising our kids at the age when they needed to have a spanking, we would sit down and say, I want to let you know that when we sin and when we hurt one another, it's really, really, really painful to our relationship. It hurts your brother. It hurts your sister. And this, this discipline is so you'll know a little bit of pain so you remember that the greater pain that is being produced from our sin can be dealt with through Jesus Christ. I don't, want, I don't want you to think that when we sin, it doesn't hurt people and it ultimately hurt Jesus. He went to the cross for this. So we, we had to use some of those different forms of discipline to teach them the consequences of sin. We often will take away privileges in order to show them that sin produces a loss of freedom at times. You know, when we enslave ourselves back 
to sin, it, it restricts us from living a full life. So parents, you've got to use different means to teach them, but keep in mind you're teaching them in the way they should go, which is to eventually get them to Jesus and to live the way of life that he provides. And I want to encourage you, parents, there's no one size fits all to this. Every child is different. Train them in the way. And then also train them along the way. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You know, it's got to happen to you first, mom and dad, before it can happen through you to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house. That's the more formal side. And when you walk by the way, that's what I'm speaking about right now, teach them along the way. When you lie down, when you rise. With my daughter, obviously, Haley, we did it along the way, but the problem is sometimes we know if we only do it in the hard moments, our kids will start to think that Jesus only has to do with the bad moments of life, not the good moments of life. And let me just give you a warning, parents. Some of you are going to go like, okay, I want to talk about God. I want to talk about Jesus in the way of life. And now you're going to go out this afternoon and go, I'm going to force it. <laughs> and they're going to go, what did you just become? Right? You've got to pray. You've got to ask the Spirit of God to lead you. You've got to pray for wisdom and how you do this. But let me just encourage you some ways you can do it. First of all, consider creation. And we are surrounded by the handiwork of God in the Northwest. I mean, you should be able to like, drive down the road with your kids and go, look at the mountain. It's huge. It's majestic. It's amazing. Like, God is awesome and powerful, kids. Or even just to say, what do you think of when you see that mountain? When you take a hike in the woods, slow down, get down to the, near to the ground. Hey, look at that fern. Do you see all the, the seeds in that? Isn't that amazing? It just drops and produces more. Some of you have yards. You're like, yeah, I know. I hate that. And you say, kids, what does that remind you of? And they may not know. Go, you know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of how God plant made plants to produce after their kind because he wanted us to eventually know that when his spirit comes into our life, just like the seed, it produces after his kind, we become children of God. I want you to know that when God comes into your life, that's what he does. He makes you into a child that looks like him. Or, or maybe it's, it's the type of stuff where you, you, you do gardening together. I remember when we did a garden together with Maggie, and she came out the next day, you know, after we planted seeds in the ground. She's like, where are they? Why aren't they growing? <laughs> I said, sweetie, that takes time. And I taught her about how God works in our life, that we don't just see stuff happen immediately, that God over time produces fruit. He raises up life, and it doesn't just happen overnight. And the plants can teach us about God's work in our life. Do that along the way with the creation around us. It's it's meant to display the invisible attributes of God to you. And when you know God, you can then explain what those invisible attributes mean because you know what he's like personally because you've gone to the one who is the way, Jesus, to show you what God's really like. Try it in your daily routines. I used to drive our kids to school, and I used to pray with them on the way. I don't drive them presently, but we'd pray along the way, and sometimes they had friends that didn't know Jesus in the car, and I'd say, how can I be praying for you guys? And then we'd take some time to pray, or I'd remind them, when you go to school today, don't forget that you have a loving father uh, who cares for you. Don't forget when maybe your friends treat you mean or say hurtful things, that you have one who loves you and is for you, even if others are against you in God. He loves you, and he's with you. Don't go alone, and know that Jesus wants you to Know his presence by his spirit. So when you need help, just ask God for help in prayer and he will help you. And then after school, review the day. Presently, I'm trying to make sure at dinner time, and we don't do this perfectly. In fact, just so I'm clear, if you have a, any kind of Norman Rockwell painting in your mind when you hear me talk about me and my family, it doesn't exist. Okay, like dinner time discussions, like I'm happy if I can get five to ten minutes in, right? Because it's just hard. We're eating, people are moving, things are going on. So I'm trying to slow us down and how was your day? What did you learn? What's one exciting thing you experienced? Let's talk through that. I remember one time we were talking through the day, and Maggie said, I learned a new song today, Dad. So, all right, what's that? I've got the whole world in my hand. I got the whole wide world in my hand. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. How big is the world? It's bigger than that. Who's got the whole world in his hand? God does. Let's try re-singing that one. He's got the whole world in his hand. So my kids go to 
a school that doesn't preach or teach or instruct in the ways of the Lord. It doesn't teach them the way they should go. I, I, we, we are for public school education. We engage our, our kids' lives in it. We want to be very involved in serving. Not all, uh, not, not, you don't have to do that. That's a conviction of our heart. We think Christian, is, Christian school is great. I think homeschool is great. Just so you know, every one of them is led by people with broken worldviews still, Okay. We all still need to debrief. What did you learn today? What are you understanding? What's coming into your heart and your mind? And, and so take time to reflect on what they're learning and talk to them about it. What are you most excited about today, kids? What are you most sad about? Draw out the heart. And pause and reflect. If you go see a, a movie together, don't just go out for pizza and not talk about it. Stop and say, what did you love about the movie? What part of the story was in line with what we know to be true of God? And what parts weren't in line to, with what we know to be true of God? What, what parts remind you of what Jesus has done? What parts showed you clearly they need a, a better picture of what Jesus is like? The, the, every movie you're going through is telling a story. What's the story? And help your kids begin to learn how to listen to, a, listen to music or watch movies or TV with discernment. Make them sharp-eyed so they're ready to be arrows I remember one time Maggie was watching a show. I was sitting next to her and the, the camera started way out in the universe and it zoomed down universe and it started talking about the galaxies and, and then our galaxy and then our planet and then our country and then state and then city and then street and then house and then the girl sitting there in the house in the chair and the next st- statement says, I am the center of this universe. And I'm telling you, man, I was glad I was watching TV with my, so- my daughter at that moment. And I stopped and said, wait a minute, is that true? She said, no, Jesus is the center of the universe. I said, amen, because he's the only one who can hold it all together. We've got we to stop and reflect, and, and you've got to spend time with your kids. This whole series is about making space. Let me just encourage you, if at the end of the series you don't start figuring out how to make space for your children, I'm, I promise you you're going to regret it someday. I don't want you to live in regret, and I want you to know the gospel is sufficient for the regrets we have. But let's, let's take the time. I talked to Dave Cox about this. He said he's taking Monday nights to date his daughters. And I said, man, I, that's it. I, I've been sporadic in that. I want to make Monday night the night for my family too, not just because Mondays are the, the night Dave does, but it just works for me too. And uh, so I'm going to start doing Monday nights, daddy-daughter dates, and then we'll just rotate them. And then one of them's not going to be daddy-son date because Caleb and I don't like talking about dates too much. So it's daddy-son adventure. <laughs> Do it along the way. And then lastly, teach them to go in the way. Get them ready to leave. I know some of you are like, my kid's three. I can't think about that yet. You better, because it's going to go really fast. Tell my children regularly, they used to ask, Dad, do we have to leave? I said, no, but you're going to want to. And if I train you well, if, Janie, if your mom and I train you well, then you're going to want to leave and it'll be a good thing. And you'll be able to go do the same thing with other children someday that you call your own. And some of you are going, I, I want to prepare them for the way, but here's the problem. I don't know that I was prepared that well. Some of you went back to the end of Proverbs 22, verse 6, and it says, even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And you said, you know what, I wasn't, I wasn't discipled well by my parents. I wasn't trained to go the way of Jesus for my parents. I wasn't brought up in a way that sees all of life as the place in which you train them about God. I, that's not something that I have. What do I do? And I want to remind you that Proverbs are not always true statements. They're generally true statements. Remember when I started the series, I said, there are things that are general statements about wisdom and how it usually applies, but the beauty of the Proverbs is that you can read a passage like, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You can say, you know what, if, if it's always true that all of us who are children of God, who walk away from God, then what are we saying? That our Father, our Heavenly Father did a terrible job, or that sometimes we just rebel? And the answer is we rebel, because God is a perfect Father. He didn't fail. And there may be some of you going like, that doesn't help me. Now you just told me that I could do a perfect job with my kids, which I'm not telling you that because you can't. But I could try my hardest and my kids might still run away. Yes, I am telling you that. I'm also telling you that you might have done a horrible job and they might run right to Jesus. That's the really good news, see. At the end of the day, 
It's not ultimately dependent on us. In fact, the passage that I read at the very beginning, Psalm 127, the very beginning, verse 1, I didn't read this because I wanted to wait till the end. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. That's really good news. Because you know what? You know what I want more than anything else? I want my kids to be built up by God himself, not by me. I tell them regularly, I'm not your real dad. They're like, but we look like you, dad. And they now know what I mean by that. They know that I'm saying their heavenly father is the better dad. Jesus is the better son who lived the life that we can't live. God's the better father who accepts us and loves us because of Jesus. He's the better father for all the parents in the room that know that they aren't. Some of you maybe are looking at your past going, I blew it. I regret what I did. Turn to God right now and pray for your children. Pray that God will grab a hold of their hearts and lead them in the way that leads to life. Some of you, you came in, you're going, okay, here we go, it's parenting. Oh, man, here we go. I'm just, I know I'm going to blow it. I'm, I blew it all the time. And you need to hear words from Ted Tripp right now. He says this, I've been asked, don't you think that if you raise your children in the right way, God has promised to save them? He said, if such a promise existed, it wouldn't comfort me because I've not raised them well enough. Looking over their lives, I want to join the ranks of parents who would like a retry or a do-over. I'm too keenly aware of my shortcomings and my limitations to find hope in God promising to save them if I raise them right. And I just want you to hear this. Our hope is not in us. It's in God who builds the house. It's in God who saves our children. It's in God who saves us. And maybe for some of you, you just need to know that you can come to God the Father today and go, I just need grace. I wasn't the perfect parent. And Jesus died for that. To forgive you for the ways in which you've fallen short of God's glory. Some of you even as parents are going, this last week, I wasn't. And Jesus forgives you too. Come and receive the grace of God and the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his life given for you. Come receive God as a better parent for your kids. Come receive Jesus as a better child for you first. A child who lived the life you can't live, died in your place, and brings you into a place where God not only forgives you, but perfectly loves and accepts you in Jesus Christ. And if you get that, then you can lead your children to that as well. If you don't, you'll just try really, really hard to be a perfect parent. And there is only one. Let's go to him now. Father, thank you for how great you are to us. There's lots of good wisdom we can apply in the Proverbs, but if you don't build the house, if you don't ultimately reach our kids, if you don't actually repair what is broken, if you don't actually make up for where we lack, then we are, we are without hope ultimately. We cannot change a heart. Only you can. So Lord, we give you our hearts right now and pray you would continue to teach us your ways. Come reside in our, us by your spirit. And Lord, we give you our children. Those we've already raised, we pray for them, Lord. If they have not followed you, we pray you would draw them to yourself, that you would father them home. If they love you, we give you credit for that, because ultimately you had to do that. Lord, for all of us who have children or may have children in the future, Lord, we ask for help. Be a good dad to us. Help us to receive your love in us so we can bring your love through us to our children. We pray this in your name. Amen.